Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the death. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle and this is the first episode of May 2015 and I'm flying solo at the moment because this episode is a conversation that I had with Brad Warner during my trip to LA for Monster Palooza. Now, if you don't know who Brad is, that's understandable. I don't think a lot of listeners would know him. Brad is a best-selling author, blogger, punk rocker, and Zen Buddhist monk. He's written a number of books, including Hardcore Zen, which is also the name of his blog. His next book won't be released for some time, but he hosts retreats in cities across the globe. His next one is at the Against the Stream in Nashville, Tennessee, May 16th through the 17th. And he'll also be speaking there on the 19th. Now, you may be saying to yourself, but Kyle, what the hell does that have to do with Kaiju? Well, the answer to your question, my loyal listeners, is that Brad worked at Tsuburaya Productions. Yes, indeed, the same company that produces Ultraman and his ilk. Brad agreed to talk about his time there, some of the ups and some of the downs. He shared some of his favorite moments and fills in the listeners with his account of the Chayo debacle. And if you don't know what that is, this sounds like a good place to start the interview, but not before we play the Surf Coasters Ultra Q theme.
originally from Ohio? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got Destroyer tattooed. Yeah, I've got like a whole bunch of Heisei. <laughs> oh, you like the Heisei? Uh, they were very, um, they were influential to me. So, mm-hmm. like, because I knew about Godzilla, but I started really getting into the movies when I found out about the the stuff that hadn't been brought over to the States yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, looking at, you know, the stuff from the, from the Heisei era was, you know, at the time I was like, oh, the effects are so much better. And, mm-hmm. and this is probably like 1994. 1996 when I found out about it so I mean I I love the Heisei monsters but like the movies themselves don't really hold up as well as I would have liked them to. You know it's to. true when I wa- yeah. when I rewatch them because now they've come out on Blu-ray I'm kind of like I'm disappointed I was I was in Japan when a lot of those things came out right so, uh, so I got to see them in theaters first run the only one I really hated was the one everybody hates, which was Space Godzilla. And I actually fell asleep during that one. And I was like, I, man, I, I just nodded off during a Godzilla movie. That must that's be a bad sign. That, that's a, that's definitely a bad, sign. a bad sign. Yeah. Well, let me give you an intro here. Okay. I'm sitting in the apartment of Brad Warner. Brad helped me out on the Ultraman the Next podcast that we did where I had no information at all about the production. So I, I talked to him about what it was like. And that is because Brad worked at Subaraya from, what was the uh, Let's year? see, it must have started in 1994, and I think the end of 2008 was when I finally left the company completely. Okay. Uh, yeah. What what was it that, that took you to Japan? Well, initially, uh, I got a job on the JET, the JET program, Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. Okay. It's something that you can get if you have any sort of a college degree Uh, at the time they would take just about anybody and then i taught english for a year at a school in a city called takaoka japan which is in toyama prefecture which even japanese people will have a hard time locating yeah toyama it's on the uh, western side of japan where nothing much happens Uh, and then after doing that for a year i i uh, was about to reapply for another year there in fact i did reapply and then just on a kind of a whim, I, I'd been reading books by, because uh, I've been a fan of kaiju stuff, you know, since I was a little kid. Right. And one of the reasons I really wanted to go to Japan is to, you know, complete my collection of, you know, <laughs> kaiju junk. Right. You know, I figured I'd spend a couple of years over there, collect a bunch of junk and come back. And I noticed that a lot of Japanese companies would hire like a token foreign person. So, uh, I, you know, in all strata of companies right right it was a thing to do it was sort of dying out by then but it was still it was you could still get those jobs and so i thought i wonder if uh, any of these companies you know like toho or tsuburaya or um toei would would hire me as their token foreigner i kind of uh targeted tsuburaya productions because number one i liked ultraman the best of all that stuff Mm -hmm. and i had been reading a book by uh, Noboru Tsuburaya, which is too bad it's not visual, because I could actually pull it down from the shelf over there and show you. Eiji Tsuburaya's son? Yeah, it was Eiji Tsuburaya's son wrote this book called Urutraman no Kataru, which is uh, Speaking of Ultraman, something hmm. like that. Okay. And uh, it was the first book I'd attempted in Japanese, which had no pictures, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I thought, I'm going to I'm gonna see if I can read this thing. You know, I know the subject matter interests me, and I wanted to 
get my Japanese better. So I decided to read this book, as this was my chosen book to read. So I'd been reading it for a while, and I noticed this constant theme that Noboru was really interested in bringing Ultraman to America. You know,、mm-hmm. this, this gets brought up several times in the book, and all these. Attempts he'd made to bring Ultraman to America. And I thought, well, if he wants to bring Ultraman to America, maybe、uh, he'd like to have an American working on his company <laughs> who knew about Ultraman. Sounds like a good plan. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I wrote him a letter,、uh, and I had this girlfriend at the time who I ended up marrying and later ended up divorcing, but that's another story. But anyway, she was my girlfriend, and I wrote this letter in Japanese and I showed it to her, and she fixed it up so it sounded professional instead of like caveman Japanese. <laughs> and I sent it off. And as I expected, nothing happened.、Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I was kind of getting down to the wire with、uh, deciding what to do. So I, dis- I just thought, what the hell? I'll write him another letter. I was going to write, I, I figure I'll write one. I'm not going to make a campaign of this,、right. but I figure I'll write <laughs> him one more letter. And、uh, if he doesn't reply to that, I'll take a, another teaching job in Japan and、uh, you know, do my three year contract and go home. So I wrote this other letter, and like a couple, you know, like a week later, two weeks later, after sending that letter, I get a, a you know, I had an answering machine like you had in those days. And I came home and it's blinking, which didn't happen that much because people tended not to call you in Japan because, <laughs> you know, my few Japanese friends, I didn't have that many Japanese friends. And anyway, whatever. So and I play it back and it's、uh, Noboru Tsuburaya's voice on the answering machine saying, Would I be interested in coming to Tokyo for an interview? Like a job interview. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, <laughs> I'd be interested. <laughs> That was so, the point. Yeah. So I called back and scheduled an interview, and I took a bus out to,、uh, to Tokyo, which is a long, like an overnight bus ride. Oh, I, I would do, imagine.、Um, over the mountains and everything. And I did the interview, and I got the job. <laughs> the, well, the, congrats the on doing that. I don't know any. Any other foreigners, any other gaijin who are ever working for the production companies that, you know, produced tokusatsu or, or、yeah. kaiju stuff. I don't know if there were any, but as like, far I've as I know, I'm the only one.、Yeah. I, 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 I had never heard of anybody else.、Um, I, I, I will say there was a guy named John Ehlers who worked for Tsuburaya Productions before me for about three years. So I guess there was one. And he was never a fan of the stuff. And I never, no, I did meet him one time very briefly. Uh, but he had quit. It was kind of interesting, the, the timing. I'd sent my letter, and John Ehlers had quit Tsuburaya Productions in a huff, and I can completely understand why, <laughs> like three months before my letter arrived. And Noboru at the time was kind of wondering whether to replace him with another foreigner or just、right. give up the idea of having a foreigner working for him because it didn't work out very well. Yeah. But、uh, yeah, John had worked there for three years and, and、uh, just couldn't handle it. I think the only reason I could handle it was because. Uh, I really loved tokusatsu stuff and I was really into being there. But it,、yeah. without that going for me, I, I don't think I would have, because the, their, their way of doing business was non standard. <laughs> so, I don't、yeah. have to be diplomatic no, anymore. No, no, no. I, don't don't, work I mean, if you want to be diplomatic, that's、yeah. cool. If you don't, like, I don't, it, I find it fascinating. I mean, that's why I've wanted to talk to you for、mm. so long. Is, I mean, you're, you're an anomaly. You, <laughs> I guess I am. Yeah. This, uh, uh, I mean, I, when I heard about you, I was working with the Henshin Online guys. Oh, right. Yeah. And、uh, I remember, I think it was August telling me, like, oh, yeah, Brad Warner, he works with Subaraya. And I was like, wait a minute. An American yeah, guy yeah. is working there. That's cool. 
And I thought at first he meant that you were working like in LA with them, but yeah, yeah, then yeah. I found out later that you were actually over there. I was actually over there in the offices, day and day. you know, it's it's, it's weird because I I got a lot of not a lot, but the, there's always this slight slight undercurrent of of like, oh yeah, if I was there, I'd do a whole lot better than Brad Warner does, you know, <laughs> from from certain elements within the fan community. Nobody ever said that directly, but I kind of got that feeling. But the thing is. You know, there were so many things I wanted to do there. That was a big frustration. Right. Like everything everybody else wanted to do. I wanted to get, you know, when DVDs, I was there when the DVD revolution happened. And I really, you know, wanted to get a, a good American DVD release of Ultraman mm -hmm. with all the, you know, because I knew where all kinds of cool stuff was. Like the, like a, I found this little piece of, I can't remember. I was just digging through the warehouse. Sometimes I just go through the warehouse looking to see what was there if I had a bit of free time and I found like this little 16 millimeter reel I'm making a gesture to show how big but it's like you know like a three or five inch reel okay yeah. uh, that that said in English ultra Q or like it was a mass piece of masking tape and said ultra Q on it in English which mm -hmm. was weird to begin with so I like spooled it out with my hands you know to see what the hell it was and it was the that swirly opening of you know the oh, Ultraman yeah, the opening, intro, uh, yeah. but it but it resolved into the words Ultra Q written in English, which was never used. Right. I would find things like that all the time, and I I knew where they were. In fact, I was kind of in charge of that stuff, so I was the only one who knew where some of it was. Yeah. What was um, your <laughs> technical job title over there? I mean, do they is that something that they no, do, or is it just like you're well, working for Zubrai and you do? Whatever you're told to do. I mean, the Japanese have this weird thing in, in companies where the, the job titles are often almost like military ranks. So mm -hmm. there's a kabucho and a shacho and a kacho and a kakaricho and all. Cho is like a chief. So from company to company, these titles are identical, you know? Mm. And, and so, so it's sort of like, but, but I never had a title like that. I was right. just a guy who worked in the international division and I, I sort of, when I when I first got to Tsuburaya, I realized they didn't really have a job for me. It was more like a kind of a vanity thing of Noboru's to have a foreigner working mm -hmm. for him. So I kind of quickly figured out that I'm going to have to make my own job or I'm going to lose this job. Right. You know? so, I, so I set about finding what I could do. Like one of the things, you know, I did, I did various things. At first it was sort of like Anytime something would be written in English that might bind the company in any way, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, contracts and things like right. that, um, they would give to me to read. Uh, they, they had a legal sort of, they had a, like a contract template they used, mm -hmm. which was done by mm -hmm. a lawyer, but then they'd have to vary it and stuff. And I'd have to go through and make sure I didn't write the contracts, but I would right. make sure they said what they thought they said, because they were written by Japanese people who spoke English, but, you know, were a little bit fuzzy on some of the right. stuff. Yeah, so the the kind of thing where uh, you you read it, you're, you're reading the English, and there might be, like, most of it comes through, but a little bit needs to be yeah. tweaked in order to get it Yeah, that kind in. of thing. So I do that, and then after a while, because I knew the characters and spoke English, I would be like the liaison for companies trying to license things uh, from us. So if if you... It was rare that people licensed toys overseas, like, like from right. mold on up, but sometimes they would. So I would check the molds to make sure it looked like Ultraman and to check the colors to make sure it was all right and all that stuff. But I was also in charge of, um, of uh, keeping all the English language 
video and uh, film elements uh, in, you know, w- just keeping track of it, knowing right. where it was. No, and yeah, the gotcha, company yeah. just did so many stupid things. Uh, for example, at one point, there was this house next to next to the uh, the offices. The offices were kind of weird. They, they It had been a costume shop originally, and then Eiji Tsuburaya took it over uh, and then made it into offices and kept costumes in the back, the monster costumes. Okay. Uh, it was it was Toho's costume shop for a while. And then they kept expanding by buying properties next to the place. But they were they were residential properties. Okay. So our office was actually in what had been an apartment, a small apartment building uh, next to it that they'd converted into offices. Then they bought this house next to that. And they decided to put all the foreign language film elements in what had been that house's bathroom. So it was this damp room. It's the worst place you could ever choose to store film. Yeah, no. was this damp room that they hadn't quite... They were supposed to have turned off the plumbing, but it would still drip sometimes. And I would go in there like once a week just to make sure... Nothing had gotten soaked. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh so that, that was the kind of <laughs> level of stuff that that company did. Uh, so. Well, I know, I know I've heard, I've heard a couple of like stories, like third hand information. Like what was the coolest thing that you saw when you were working at the, at the company? Coolest thing. Well, I used to, I, I, I wasn't involved. My job didn't directly involve production, mm-hmm. but I made friends with the, quickly made friends with the people who were involved in production because I was interested in what they did. So after a while, I had more or less a free pass when I, right. that whenever I wanted to walk into the studio, I just walk in, mm-hmm. you know, cause they knew me and I, they didn't even ID me after a while. The stu- they were pretty loose with that stuff anyway. And, uh, so, so I would just on, on weekends or sometimes, uh, evenings, I would just go, the studio was a, a Toho built studio, which was kind of a few blocks away. It was a rented studio, and I don't know what it had to do with Toho, but it was called Toho Built. Okay, was the name of the studio. <clears throat> do you remember like the the name of the area where that was? Because well, Setagaya, Setagaya, right? Uh, and Kinuta is the specific part of Setagaya that that it was in that that uh, Tsuburaya was in. I guess Toho Built was also Kinuta. Anyway, I was just yeah. giving my my friend directions on how to get to Ultraman Street. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and it's, uh, is, yeah, it's yeah, Okura. Okura. Yeah, you go to Soshigai Okura Station and just walk down the street, um, and they've decorated it all. It's yeah. funny. It's ironic because the Tsuburaya offices were torn down a few years ago. Yeah. the ones in Kinuta. So, and they were they were falling apart anyway. Even mm-hmm. when I was working there, everybody was worried about you know that the day we get a minor earthquake and the whole thing would collapse oh because it was really in bad shape. So that's yeah, but they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. But there, there's the Ultraman Street is now there. <laughs> yeah, in its place, the landmark in its place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Toho is also down. Toho was across and, and still is across yeah. the street from where Tsuburaya used to be. Oh yeah, that's what I gave him directions to. Is like walk down Ultraman Street and then you kind of loop around and, yeah. and hit Toho. That's it. So yeah, listeners, if you wanted to go to Toho, that's see get off yeah, it. So that, on the Odachi line. Yeah. So I, uh, I would love to know. If you got any kind of backstory about how Subaraya, maybe just the man himself, like was, I know he was long gone by the time you yeah. got there, obviously. Um, but like, what kind of legacy did he have that maybe stuck around while you were there? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a lot of people who worked for the company knew him or re- were related to him because it was like a family business. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he established it and then put all his relatives in, in, uh, 
management positions, right. you know, and yeah. then died. Um, so, uh, Noboru who hired me was his son and actually looked a lot like he was the, of the three sons of Eiji Tsuburai, he was the one who looked most like Eiji. Mm. So he kind of looked like a young version of Eiji, but he was a very different sort of guy. He was very flamboyant and he was very interested in, um, making himself a, a singing star and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but as far as the, like the legacy, like, so, so, so a lot of people knew him and they were they had been hired by one of the things AG did when he started the company was he wanted to hire um younger people you know it was this big thing to give <clears throat> these really young guys their first chance at doing something major you know I, I guess he sort of had this kind of passion for doing that so a lot of these guys had been hired right out of film school or whatever and they were like you know 23 or 20 you know 25 years old or something when they got hired and it was might have been their first real job and uh, and some of them were still there, like uh, Koichi Takano and um, Kazuho Mitsuda were, were two guys that were still... Uh, Mitsuda is still there, I think, but uh, Koichi Takano became kind of Eiji's, or one of Eiji's apprentices in, in special effects. So uh, he kind of taught Takano how to do special effects. Oh, cool. And so Takano was kind of this guy who was direct in the line of descent from Eiji, and, and, you know, his, his attitude was very, there's a story that Mitsuda used to like to tell in every, inter, I used to do translations of, inter, one of the things I would do at the company was, was foreign journalists would come mm -hmm. and I'd do the translations of the interviews. And one of the stories that Mitsuda told invariably in every interview was he'd set up this elaborate special effects shot, uh, and, uh, it might've been for the show Busca, if you know, Busca. But, uh, but it's this, like, really elaborate little, shot. I know a tiny little bit about <laughs> okay, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess you do know Busca, but he did, he did, he did this, um, this elaborate shot, and at the time that he told A.G. about it, he was really enthusiastic. So, then they get, they get to the set the next day, and they're setting up this shot, and A.G. shows up, as he often did, on the set just to see what was going on, and mm -hmm. he looked around at, at all the people in this very elaborate shot going on, and he said, what are you doing here? And, and, and Mitsuda says, well, this is the shot we talked about. You said it would, was great. And he said, you, yesterday you were talking to me as an artist. Today you're talking to me as the president of the company. This is costing a fortune. You have to cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I remember, so when we talked about Ultraman, the next, uh, one of the tangential things that we got off on is, uh, you mentioned, I think somebody who might've been involved with the production who directed, or maybe was a cinematographer on some of the old Ultraman episodes mm. and where they were known for using those weird camera angles. Oh yeah. That would be, oh, oh no, I'm gonna forget the name. Um, Jisoji, uh, Akio Jisoji was this guy, yeah. Those episodes, and I don't know if he did all of the ones that I'm thinking of, but they were just, it was, it reminded me of what you were just talking about, like young filmmakers coming yeah. in and, and, uh, I would imagine somebody was like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do some really cool stuff that no one's seen before. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm going to have the science patrol smoking in front of the headlights of their car. Yeah. And, yeah, you yeah. Know, Jisoji was yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. He'd done, he, he, he'd done like some really weird art films in college that somehow had impressed aging. I think he'd done a little work on television hmm. before and ag had seen some of this stuff he'd done that was really weird and arty uh, but apparently that story i remember hearing i may be getting this wrong is he directed this thing where he decided to have like this 
snowfall happened, but the scene was supposed to be happening in the summer, but he just said that having snowfall created the mood, <laughs> and so even though it was the summer, the snow was falling, and it's really weird. So so he liked that sort of thing, and he hired Jisoji, and Jisoji was this, yeah, he did all these weird artsy things, you know, putting the camera underneath the table and then shooting up like through like a glass table right, up, at the, yeah, yeah. up at the people, that kind of stuff. He would do all kinds. So his episodes are very distinctive. You know? Distinctive is a great word for them because they yeah. absolutely stand out. And like even watching, I'm watching Ultra 7 right now for the yeah, first he did, time. He did several and, of those. Uh, yeah. I, I would imagine, yeah, he was involved with some of those too. Yeah, he did a bunch of Ultraman and Ultra 7. And then after after Ultra Seven, I think he just kind of uh, he went off on his own. Uh, although a lot of the subsequent directors were kind of influenced by his style, so they mm-hmm. do things that, that sort of imitated Chisoji's look. Oh, and then, interesting. And then in the nineties, my this uh, Takeshi Yagi, who's a, a friend of mine about about my age, who was working for Tsuburaya, he was also you know like me, he'd come to the company as a big fan, mm-hmm. and he got. Uh, he got to be producer of um, what was it? Oh, maybe maybe it was, it was the one after Ultraman Cosmos. I'm getting them um, uh, mixed up now. Well, anyway, maybe Yagi's later I'll still think of it. Yeah, Yagi right? doesn't work with Tsuburaya anymore, oh, but okay. he still does special effects stuff. And okay, so he 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 somehow coaxed Jisoji back. Uh, okay. He also got Takashi Miike to do a couple of Ultraman episodes. What the hell was that? Ultra? Probably people listening to this are going, "Brad, you idiot! It was Ultraman one." But I can't yeah. think of it right. Well, there's <laughs> so many. Yeah. So when you so when you started working there, what was the what was the brand new the 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 newest oh, series yeah. that that was in production? Yeah, while yeah, you yeah. Start, I can you tell you that that might be a good story right there. It was it was Ultraman powered, aka Ultraman uh, the Ultimate Hero, mm-hmm. which they shot in Hollywood. Uh, but it was a debacle. I remember a few episodes had come out, uh, and I'd rented the videos before I started working for Tsuburaya Productions. Mm-hmm. So, I, during my interview, uh, Noboru asked me, what do you think of Ultraman, you know, the ultimate hero? Have you seen any of it? And I was like, and, and they, they, they were kind of bad, <laughs> you yeah. know? And I said something like, oh, they're, they're pretty good, because I didn't want to say anything bad about... Uh- you know, I would I would not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, he just came crappy, back. Crappy show. <laughs> and he said something. He he kind of came back to me and he said something like, in you know, speaking Japanese, but it was something to the effect of, "Oh, you really like them because they suck <laughs> or something." You know, I mean, he, you know, very sort of colloquial Japanese for like they they're horrible. And I said, "Oh yeah, now that you mention it, they aren't that good." And then we, we were able to talk a little bit. But that was a big debacle because they 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 kind of allowed. Um, Bandai, the toy company, to take the the lead on making the Hollywood show happen, hmm. and they brought in a bunch of people that you know they didn't they directed soap operas and things you know these people there's this kind of thing in Los Angeles if you want a job uh, you'll say whatever so they they presented themselves oh yeah we're a big fan of your programs we know all of them and you know, whatever probably uh, just you know, went out and found out whatever they could about the shows yeah. the night before the interview. Do a they little had, bit of research yeah. so you can, you know, back up your... That's your it. And they had, yeah. no, they had no clue whatsoever. They they actually, there's a story that they, the guys from Japan came to the set of Ultraman the Ultimate Hero, uh, first episode, uh, and they saw that the the buildings were actually cardboard refrigerator boxes that they no. had cut windows out and painted black or something. Oh, that's terrible. 
yeah. that's like my pet peeve about the yeah yeah the I mean public were, uh, view of of tokusatsu. They, yeah, that was it. That, you know, these guys thought, oh yeah, they just do cheap, crappy stuff, and they came on the set and they go, what is this? Oh yeah, well this is how we do it in America and blah blah blah. And it was no, it was how they did. They were just being cheapskates. Yeah, and uh, so they. That's why if you if you actually watch the show, there's some there's some really weirdly bad miniature sets on the first episode of Ultraman, the Ultimate Hero, and then for the next two or three episodes, there's almost no miniature sets at all. They shot everything like in um you know forests or whatever, oh. uh, and then they come back, and then there's decent miniature sets for the rest of the series. That's right. because they they in a mad scramble they went back to Japan and built a bunch of um, miniature. American-looking buildings and sent them over oh, to LA. Over the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had Japanese-built miniatures for yeah. the U.S. production for, for the for the wow. Yeah, there's like 13 episodes of that. So for the final seven or eight episodes, it's all that all the miniature sets were made in Japan and shipped at great expense <laughs> to to Los Angeles. They must have thought very poorly of LA and, and Hollywood. Yeah, after well, that. yeah, it was really it was and they decided we're not going to do any more co-productions, which mm-hmm. is ironic. You know, I came in there and it was like one of the things I was sort of hoping to do was like an American Ultraman thing right. and they, they that really soured them on that experience. So that was right in the ending. They they'd already filmed everything, but it was they were still editing the last few episodes when I arrived at the company and, and i remember going through the files and there's the, some of the faxes that went back and forth between these two companies were hilarious and and for a long time i've i've unfortunately not got it anymore but i i went because some of them were so uh, juicy i i xeroxed <laughs> copies for myself and took them home you right, know yeah uh because i just thought they were you know it was really highly unethical to do that with you know <laughs> private company material but i wasn't gonna i just yeah, wanted them for my own book about it yeah, yeah. yeah i just wanted them for my own yeah. amusement yeah but i i've since gotten rid of those i don't know where they are anymore so do me a favor tell me uh tell me some horror stories uh, uh horror uh, stories. as far as like you you mentioned the bathroom where they kept the archival <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. Now I've seen I, and I understand. I think I understand why they do it. This is back in back in uh, the sixties, I'm assuming, where they would eventually burn the old monster suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, while that might sound horrifying to kaiju fans today, like I'm sure they had well, some sort of reason for it. And they just made it foam made rubber, ones, and, yeah. yeah. It, it it melts and rots and it's full of sweat and it's you know it it they're actually those those costumes after a while you can't even use them as museum pieces they're mm-hmm. just in, they're yeah, just stinking the, foam rubber I, yeah I think all of the props that I see being put on display these days are all just you know miniatures and the mm-hmm. ships and the weapons and and so forth um, what was the I mean did you see anything like atrociously kept or uh, I mean that bathroom well, story is yeah, was that pretty, was bad. bad. It was funny though. The bathroom was like a uh, an improvement over. They had actually stored this stuff outside. They they had this little shed that that was covered had a covered roof, and then two sides were were covered, and then two other sides were open open to the air, mm-hmm. and that's where they had kept this stuff before they moved it into the bathroom. So it was it was pretty bad <laughs> uh, because they didn't they just didn't really care about the foreign language elements very much uh, you know okay there's one the one story um that uh that to me was pretty 
shocking at the time. There was, we made this show, or Tsuburaya made the show before I arrived, called Ultraman Toward the Future. It was a shot in Australia. Oh, yes. It was the first right. English language Ultraman show, 13 episodes. That was actually my introduction to Ultraman. That it's, was the very first thing I it's ever It's actually saw, pretty yeah. good. You know, it's it's not like the, the Hollywood one. With the, the Australian one was actually nicely done. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things I was in charge of was the master keeping all these master tapes. And we had this set that said Ultraman Toward the Future Master. And they were in these green uh, containers. Uh, most of them were gray, you know, but these were green. And we had the set of them. And I remember my boss, he was, he was got this whole idea that we had too much stuff in the warehouse and we had to get rid of things. And he was going to go get rid of them. He's this older guy and he's looking... And he, he looks at these things and he says, we got to get rid of those. And I said, the, those are the masters. It says Ultraman Toward the Future Master. And he says, those aren't the masters. If they were the masters, they'd be in the, in the uh, production department. They keep right. all the masters. And I said, well, I know you've been at this company longer than me, but I've been in this company long enough to know that, that what's supposed to happen doesn't always happen. And I think these are the actual masters. I don't think there are any other masters. And we had this fight about it. And at that point, I was getting very frustrated with the company. And I said, okay, fine, we'll throw them out. And so I actually, myself, carried them to the dumpster going, this is the dumbest thing. (laughs) You know, this is like a ridiculous thing I'm doing. And I tried to tell some other people at the company that we were doing this and nobody, they were all like, well, Ugawa-san knows what he's talking about. And I said, okay, Ugawa-san knows what he's talking about. I threw him in the dumpster and they went off, you know. I even remember the day when they came and picked up the dumpster and I was like, there they go. Yeah. <laughs> we're never going to see those again. <laughs> and just as I could have easily predicted, two years later, they wanted to do a DVD release of Ultraman mm-hmm. Towards the Future, and they came to our office saying, well, where are the masters? And I said, well, uh, the masters are in a dump somewhere. They're, they're, I'm sure they're gone <laughs> now. Man. And, and they had to, they had to um, make the DVD release on these sub-masters, which had um, Japanese subtitles burned mm-hmm. into them. Yeah, hard-coded. S- yeah. yeah. So, so, hard, yeah. So, the only... As far as I know, to this day, the only masters that exist anymore, unless there might have been some kept in Australia, are the ones with the Japanese wow. subtitles hard burned <laughs> right into them. <laughs> unless somebody was traipsing through the uh, dump in yeah, Japan yeah, and like uh, f- scored. Oh, hey, look at this! What um what happened with the the bathroom? That housed all the oh, foreign language materials. Eventually, uh, they were transferred to they, we the the company decided to invest in real storage facilities, and eventually those were transferred to those. That was right at the end of. I left Japan in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. They sent me to L.A., and uh, that was the year that they transferred all those into a better storage facility. And that after that, I lost track of them. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. happened to them. But there had been stuff I'd been lovingly keeping, like that mm. Ultra Q 16mm and a few other things that I thought, well, these would be great DVD bonuses because right, nobody's right. even seen these. Um, little trims and things that, that had been taken off, so they were like uh, bonus footage mm-hmm. and whatever. So I do remember, I, I, t- I told the person who was in charge, I said, this box is the thing I've kept, you know, it was like, a, I put them all in one box because it wasn't that much mm-hmm. material. And I said, you you know, take care of these because these are one of a kind elements and I don't know what happened to them after that. <laughs> well, fingers crossed that yeah. they're still intact. Speaking of DVD stuff, uh, one of the subject matters that I really wanted to bring up 
um, because I don't think enough people know about it, and that includes myself. Is there any way you can shed any kind of light on Subaraya and the Chayo situation? Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, I know it's I know it's not a happy story. No, I mean, yeah, um, it's. But it, I would. I think it's. I think it would be really good to at least let the listeners of the podcast know the the details of uh, like what that is. Like, I mean, for years I saw the name Chayo, and I never. Yeah. really knew what it was and then i found out a little bit about the relationship and and so forth yeah yeah i mean i can i can tell that story and i don't i was thinking i should write an article on this because now i don't i don't have any reason to hold back anything because you know my job doesn't no longer depends on it mm-hmm. but because uh, there was a while i couldn't say anything but um basically i was there when all that happened noboru who hired me died like a year after he hired me he he was diagnosed with cancer not maybe six months after I started working in the company, and he went he went really fast. Oh wow! Um, yeah, he just stopped coming to work, and then you know we'd hear little things here and there about what had happened to him. The next thing I know, he's 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 dead. Um, mm-hmm. It was really sad uh, thing, but it really it it uh, it took everybody by surprise, and nobody knew what to do. About th- I'm I'm going to say three months after Noboru died. We started getting these faxes because everybody was using faxes those days right. as their main. I mean, Japan clung to the fax long before, long after everybody was I doing think email. Still use the fax <laughs> yeah, over there. Like, <laughs> so we started getting these faxes from this company in Thailand, who are complaining because we were releasing shows in Thailand, and we we're like, "Why? Huh? Who's complaining that we're releasing shows in Thailand? Because we, you know, we, you know, we've been doing that for ages." Um, and they claimed that they had all the worldwide rights, all worldwide rights to Ultraman. Mm-hmm. And and I, one of the earliest jobs I had with the company, you know, I'd been there about a year and a half, I suppose, I don't know, something along those lines, um, was going through the files trying to find anything related to these guys who were called the, I think they were calling themselves Thai Burin Company at okay. the time, Burin, B-U-R-I-N Company. Uh I don't think they, I don't think we heard the name Chayo for a little while, but, um, so, so my boss had asked me, he gave me a list of, of names and things and all the stuff was just in, in paper files. So I, I was going, I was spending hours and days just going through our files, looking for anything related to this company and just right. compiling it for them. And I, I didn't find much, you know, I remember I found like three or four old faxes between Tiberine Company mm-hmm. and Tsuburaya and they didn't really they were very innocuous things it didn't really lead to anything and um, so anyway after a while they showed up and they, they, they kept saying well we have this contract you know that, that entitles us to everything and they wouldn't show us this contract they were very cagey we, we can't fax it to you we can't we can only come to the company and show you the the actual so they invited them over and they came and the one time I met them, it was uh, Sumport Sungen Chai and his son who called himself Pete. I don't, you know, I think he had a right. a, a Thai name that yeah. sounded like Pete, but he called yeah. himself Pete Sungen Chai at the time. And I was just like, I, I, I just remember getting this horrible, creepy feeling from both of them because they just seemed like really sleazy people. Like the kind of the kind yeah I don't you ever get like a vibe from somebody oh, yeah. like oh I don't want to talk yeah. to this guy because he don't even want to be around this person yeah, yeah he yeah. is really bad news you know and that's I just got this intense vibe from from both of them because they just seemed really dishonest and shady and mm-hmm. creepy just really 
skin-crawling creepy. And they presented this paper, and eventually I got, I got a look at it. And it, because eventually they started, we started showing it, the company started showing it to people, because it was the most, to me, it's the most incredibly phony-looking thing I'd ever seen. It was written on Tsuburai Enterprises Stationery, which is a sub- company that that Subaru Productions established sometime in the 70s to to sort of sub-license things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was Subaru Productions and Subaru Enterprises, and Subaru Productions owned everything, and Subaru Enterprises would be licensed by Subaru Productions to do certain things. It was a okay. very complicated sort of businessy thing. Sure. So it was written on Subaru Enterprises stationery, which no contract would have been on that stationery to begin with, because they didn't have authority to do anything like this like a contract and it it was written in pidgin english with misspellings and the titles of the shows were wrong uh ultra seven was called ultra man seven which is something nobody in Subaru productions would ever do you know right. and i was like it, it's like fingers on a chalkboard nails on a chalkboard <laughs> sort of sounding thing to them to call it ultra man seven ultra q was called ultra man one hyphen ultra q which Weird. made no sense. Weird. You know, and the the number of episodes per program were almost all wrong. You know, it would be a show that had 39 episodes would say, you know, 37 episodes or something like that. And there were, so it listed Ultraman through Ultraman Taro and then also Jamborg Ace, the show we had, mm-hmm. Jamborg Ace, and said all rights in perpetuity in all media, you know, just crazy rights you would never give to anybody and then at the bottom was supposedly the signature of noboru tsuburaya but written in roman letters which he never did actually i I actually have a uh, had a couple samples of occasionally he would write his signature in roman letters instead of you know japanese kanji and uh they didn't look like this they this this looked this just looked like a random person had written noboru tsuburaya in cursive and and, but the thing it had it was our company seal which uh, if you know about japanese business they 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 a company seal is considered more authoritative than a signature, uh, and but it's but like it's, a like a chop. It's yeah, it's a chop. Of, yeah, okay. it, but it's a rubber stamp. Yeah, I mean it's literally a rubber stamp. Sometimes they make them out of stone, but usually they make mm-hmm. them out of rubber. And ours was rubber, and but it had the the legit company rubber stamp on the bottom. But apparently, yeah, they the one of the things that that we discovered later just really stupid business practices. So so many of them was that uh, one of the things they would do would be to stamp blank sheets of Tsuburaya stationery with with the rubber stamp for future use so right. they didn't have to... Because they keep the rubber stamp in a safe and they didn't want to have to be bothered to go open the safe. Every so time, they, they yeah. would keep a, yeah. sh- like a few of them, like 10 sheets with the stamp on them in a drawer, like not even a locked drawer. So it's, it's possible they, they got a hold of one of those pre-stamped sheets or it's possible they just... It's very easy to to duplicate a rubber stamp. You just mm-hmm. get a, a sample of it, and then you take it. I used to work for a company. I did temp work for for a company that did that. So yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's easy to do, you know. Yeah. So so they came with this, and and they're being very threatening. So so they the thing is, they Chayo it turned out had did do some business with Tsuburaya. There was a movie called. Um, Hanuman and the Seven Ultra Brothers, or it goes under various titles. I've, I've seen some screenshots from the film, yeah. but I haven't actually watched it. Yeah. So that was a co-production they did in '74. They went, they lent a bunch of costumes to Thailand, and then they let these Thai guys make their own Ultraman movie. 
uh, out of it as a way to kind of infiltrate the Thai market. And that was the guy, this was the Sumport Sungenchai, who had been in charge of that film. So, right. so there was some connection. So it wasn't the, they weren't completely random people. So Noboru was in Thailand in 1974 when this contract was supposedly, or 76, I think, when this con- contract was supposedly uh, made. 74, Whipped 76, yeah. 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 Uh, and that's what the date, there was a date of, of on the contract of, like, I remember it was near my birthday. It was like March 7th, 1976, or 70, I can't remember if it's 74 or 76. It must have been 76, because I remember it was exactly 20 years uh, that they started doing that. And that was the, the f- you know, there were so many red flags with this, but if you had all rights in perpetuity for the entire world of Ultraman, one of the biggest, you know, superhero characters in the world, you know, in, oh, yeah. in, certainly in Asia, and during the time it was in its heyday, you know, in the 70s. Of course, you yeah. Know, the biggest yeah. time for it. And you didn't do anything? <laughs> you didn't do anything. You know, that's, that's the first suspicious thing. They had these rights for 20 years and never didn't, exercised didn't them. Didn't release a single thing. Didn't, not, not one thing. Not even in Thailand. Or, no, yeah. we couldn't, wow. we couldn't find a single thing that they had done. Cause you, cause Subaraya was putting stuff out in Thai, yeah, Thailand yeah. without them. Wow. I mean, supposedly if this contract had been legit, they could have gone to, uh, United Artists in America who were, who were at that time running Ultraman on TV stations across America and said, Hey, we got five more programs for you and right. they could have sold them that huh. you know and and they could have sold the toys and everything else you know uh and they didn't do it so th- this leads me to believe they just cooked this contract up sometime after noboru died mm-hmm. and just came over and decided to see if they could hoodwink us with this and they did <laughs> you know so so kazuo tsuburaya who been who was president of the company at the time was noboru's son he was 36 years old he'd never run anything this big in his life. Right. And God bless Kazo. I mean, I liked him as a person, but he was not the sharpest tack in the box, I just have to say. <laughs> uh, you know, he was a nice guy, and I, I really hate to say anything bad about him, but, you know, he wasn't ready to be a company president, mm-hmm. you know. And so his solution to this was to try to placate them by giving them Ultraman rights for five territories in Southeast Asia. <laughs> I don't know if this is too much detail. But no, like, man. Dude, I yeah. love this stuff, and like, okay. I find it fascinating. Okay, so well, I'll keep continue. going. Yeah, yeah. So he said, we'll give them five territories in Southeast Asia, and then they said, they came back and said, okay, but we want a letter of apology because we have been embarrassed in the Thai business world. Uh, we want a formal letter of apology from Tsuburai Productions, and then we'll take our five territories, and we will never bother you again. Right. That was that was the way they, they put it. So they wrote this letter of apology, and now this is the thing that just c- continuously just pisses me off even to this day, you know, 20-some years later, almost 20 years later, right? At that time... As I told you earlier, my main job was to take any anything that was written officially by the company that might have legal ramifications, oh, they yeah. would show to me. Uh, that was my job in the company, to make sure it said what they thought it said. They never showed this letter to me because my boss, uh, the late U- Jimmy Ugawa, Kiyotaka Ugawa, um, was also a really nice guy, but he had this kind of weird... He'd been in the military, you know, he'd been in the Japanese military and worked for the U.S. military as some kind of translator or something. And he had this kind of weird idea of of uh, need, this is only on a need-to-know basis, you know, it was very militaristic kind of thing. Mm. So, apparently he thought, 
I did not need to know this thing. But even if he hadn't shown it to me, he could have shown it to a lawyer or something, you know, somebody who, who was a native English speaker, because there were people we used regularly who could have looked at this. And it would have taken a few minutes of looking at it to say, no, this doesn't really say what you want it to say, because it's written ambiguously. It should never have implied that the initial contract, the initial fake contract mm -hmm. was legit. But if you read it, it does tend to sound like it's admitting the legitimacy of the, of this paper, of this hmm. fake contract with all its screwy misspellings and everything. Right. And so that has been the basis for all of their um, subsequent legal action was this letter of apology that seems to admit that the initial contract. And that's how they've been able to win court cases. Oh, man. Because they have this letter of apology and they say, well, well, yeah, this contract has some flaws and blah, but we have this letter of apology from Subaru Productions, which admits that the contract is real. And it, it, it's not supposed to. You know, you can, you, if you read it, you can clearly see that somebody... Ugawa, of course, Jimmy Ugawa wrote this intending it to not admit, but he, he, you know, he, he spoke really, really good English, but it just, you know, he needed that little bit more finesse mm -hmm. to make sure that what he said was what he meant to see and nobody ever looked at it. This is a lockdown. Right? Yeah, because yeah, they wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't show it to me, you know, and I can understand. I was like 30 years old and I didn't worked in the film business very much. So, okay. I, I I say, well, you don't don't show it to me. You know, I'm a geeky kaiju fan and stuff. If you if you want to be that way, but show it to somebody. You right. know, oh yeah, <laughs> show it to somebody who speaks English. Get a second you know? opinion <laughs> before you before you commit to something like that. And that's and so so for the last twenty years, everything has been based on 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 that um, on this this letter of apology. Wow. The letter of apology just killed any chances the company had in the future of defending itself. So do you think that there's that that will ever get not reversed I guess but do you think that that will ever go away and that Subaraya will get back in charge of stuff because yeah. the the media that's been released is, I mean here in the states it's all through Chaya all through Chaya yeah. right yeah, yeah so that I mean and it hasn't been very much no, they did Ultra Q through Ultra, Ultra, Ultra Q, Q, Ultra, Ultra, Man, Ultra, Ultra 7. 7. Yeah. And then they had these weird, I've got them in my drawer over there that they released in Asia, Ultraman Ace and Taro and um, Return of Ultraman on DVD. You can tell they have this very distinct logo for Ultraman, even though that doesn't say Chayo on it. They always okay. use this logo. But um, I kind of doubt it'll ever be released, re reversed, because one of the things I did when I when I moved to los angeles was i went and talked to some intellectual property lawyers who were like people who had represented you know everybody in the business here in in america and i consulted with them and i you know told them what i just told you and i right, told them yeah. the problem i showed them the documents and i said well what can we do and the one guy who we worked with most can't remember his name said he said well if we if we can bait them into uh coming after tsuburai in the United States by, for example, putting out a DVD release and sort of bait them into, into, into suing Tsuburaya and then bring this thing to an American court. Uh, he was very confident that an American court would look at the initial uh, paper work and say, well, this is not a valid contract. Mm -hmm. At which point, if, if we had a court decision in the United States that went in Tsuburaya's favor, that would be, because that's, you it know, would resonate. It would right, resonate with, throughout with the, rest the rest of the world. Of the world. Right, yeah. they, they'd, they'd all kind of follow along with what the American courts do, because for better or worse, that's what 
that's what happens in this world, you know? Yeah. But they were they were afraid to do that because they were afraid they might lose. And yeah. they said, well, yeah. you know, there is a chance we might lose. Of course. <laughs> you know? There's I, I, don't, I mean, I guess I don't blame them for, for being fearful of losing something like that in, yeah. in such a prevalent you know, judicial system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I can, I can understand it, but I really, you know, we had some pretty powerful legal people ready to represent this thing because at the time, this is 2004 and everybody in Hollywood was remaking something Japanese, right, you know, right. um, Speed Racer, which unfortunately tanked, was about to come out and everybody was like thinking this is going to be, you know, it's the Wachowskis doing Speed Racer. Everybody right. thought this is going to be a mega smash. So, at the time, they were there was this buzz in the industry of like we got to get our we got to get our own Japanese property from the sixties, you know, to to do. <laughs> so everybody was interested. So yeah, there was yeah. a lot of there was there was a potential of of huge amounts of money uh, to be made if we could have gotten this this decision reversed. And you know, Will Smith had been on TV going, oh, "My favorite superhero is Ultraman." You know, I don't know if you saw that, but it was I, I've on heard some... about it. And and I think even recently that sort of resurfaced as a uh, as a i guess i would say a a viral rumor that uh, that he was going to yeah. try and bring ultraman to the states like i think it was just a couple of years ago that yeah that, yeah that i saw that again. too yeah. yeah but probably never will happen until until Tsuburaya decides to be gutsy about it when when godzilla came out this recent godzilla came out and it was doing really well mm -hmm. uh initially like a couple of weeks in, I, I wrote a, uh, an email to the president of Shinichi Oka of, of Tsuburaya, the current president, saying this, this Godzilla thing is really hot. This would be the time if you want to do Ultraman and you want, you know, I'm in LA, you want me to go represent you again, I would be willing to go represent the company and we mm -hmm. can try to get something going. And they were like, well, we still have this problem with Chayo. And I'm like, oh, come on, guys, yeah. you really, you gotta you, take you know, a chance. You, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, at this point, I don't, I don't see what they're afraid of because it couldn't go any worse. Even if they lost the court case in America, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be any worse than the situation is now. Right. So why not just do it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be my opinion. They're mm -hmm. not gonna, you know, the 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 contract as it is is clearly. I don't even like calling it a contract, a document, whatever. It's clearly limited to the shows that are specified in it, which are only the shows up to the mid seventies, yeah. seventy four, right? the worst they could do is lose the rights to those early shows. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some, there's some fear that because all the other shows are derivative, you know, there's all this stuff in intellectual property. So all the later Ultraman shows are derivatives of the first one. Right. The whole spinoff thing. And there's yeah, a fear yeah. that if they lost the rights to the initial ones, they could lose the rights to remakes, but they can't right now. They're at a stalemate and they can't do any remakes anyway. Not, not outside of Japan. Right. I'd be like, well, who cares? Just, you know, yeah, might as well. But it'd be it'd be cool to see them do something. I I mean I I don't like speaking ill of of the companies that make the my favorite types of entertainment either. But you know it seems to me that Toho and and uh, and the like are are they're not very ballsy when it no. comes to comes to making moves to that seem out of convention or uh, that's definitely uh, true away from what they've done in the past. And I think you know that's the kind of thing that needs to happen in order to bring tokusatsu entertainment into this current you know era of filmmaking and i i, I would love to see something from Subaraya yeah. become popular here in the states i'd love to see you know more more kaiju stuff happen and yeah, yeah i would too but they they are extremely conservative and that mm -hmm. kind of shows 
up in the programs they make, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and maybe that's kind of why people like them because it's always the same thing, you know, and, yeah. and you can kind of, it's very dependable entertainment. Sticking to the formula. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But they, they are very conservative and they don't like to take, take a chance on things. And I really, I, I feel like if they did take a chance on this legal stuff, they could probably break, break the stalemate. And mm -hmm. because right now, uh, Chayo, what do they call? There's a there's a word in the business for this. It's uh it's uh oh no I've forgotten it. But there's a word for for when you don't have a clear rights to something, mm. and nobody in Hollywood wants to take a property where the rights are not 100 percent clear. Right. Which is why things like remember in the 70s uh, there were two Dino De Laurentiis won out in the end, but there were two companies making a King Kong movie in in the mid 70s. And the one kind of gave up. I think Universal had oh, okay. their own King Kong movie going on because the rights to King Kong had become muddy. You know, right. like nobody knew who really owned King Kong. So they're, they're always afraid to, to work with properties like that. And Ultraman is unfortunately now one of those properties where people look at it and they go, so they won't work with Chayo because they go, well, this, you know, he's got this shaky contract from this, you know, this weird chain of whatever. And it looks, really iffy and and i'm sure he gives off the same creepy vibe to everybody he meets in hollywood you know <laughs> that i got when i met him was his name sampo sampo yeah yeah he was at i want to say san diego comic-con or WonderCon a couple of years ago huh? um i talked with my friend mark about it uh he was actually promoting ultraman stuff in the states and it was they were producing, oh man, I can't remember the details of it. I, I want to say there was a book yeah and there was a poster set and there might have been might have been media as well yeah, yeah. but uh i i mean it interested me from the standpoint of i, I love those art of books yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and and told narita's stuff we talked about that when we chatted yeah, before yeah, yeah. um they've got some of his de designs in there and so it interested me but then when i started looking more into who that was that's when it the red flag of chayo came up and yeah, yeah. i mean that's this is actually perfectly why i want to talk to you about this and like really just kind of get the word out about yeah, yeah. what happened so yeah no I'm, I'm sure nobody would would you know will smith isn't going to sign up with with some part sungen chai because he you know he and whoever his people are will see that the chain of rights is shaky uh -huh. so they're not going to do they're not going to work with him uh and they're not going to work with Subaraya productions either because same thing yeah. we don't we have a history we oh, well, i don't work for the company anymore but i've worked for him for 15 years it's hard to break the habit but anyway Subaraya doesn't have a consistent history of defending its rights right. so so the hollywood companies look at that and go i don't want to deal with these guys who don't who who might just you know fall apart as soon as somebody challenges them you know they they want somebody who's going to have some backbone and yeah, so so we've sent off the wrong message. You of know? course, yeah. So they can't, they can't. So so I think it's at a stalemate. I don't think anybody's. I'm kind of surprised. Like Shout Factory has released those those Ultraman, Ultra Seven, Ultra Q DVDs, mm -hmm. and they they did as good a job as they can because the elements they're getting are I can tell when I watch them. They're copies of the Japanese DVDs. 
They've taken the Japanese DVDs and used those as a master. Huh. And then, because there's certain artifacting and stuff, and there's certain distinctive things about the Japanese DVDs, which if, you, if you're if you geeky and know what the material looks like and the various versions of it, because mm-hmm. I had to spend 15 years looking at the various... <laughs> so I can tell. I can yeah. tell which master they've used, yeah. you know. Because there's only, there's only like a few sets of masters of the original Ultraman material. They're made for Laserdisc. They were redone for DVD. They, they, they did them a few times. They did them for VHS, then they redid them for Laserdisc, then they redid did them from DVD. Okay. And they each look slightly different, like really small variations, mm. but they each look a little different. And those are definitely the DVD masters that we made uh, for the Japanese DVD. So that's what they're using uh, as their master material. And I guess Shout Factory is confident enough that Tsuburaya isn't going to go after them, and, and maybe the price was cheap enough that they were willing to take that risk yeah i don't know i've never i never had any dealings with them i i actually shout factory was one of the companies when this first happened when dvds came out i'm like we should get to we should talk to shout factory about doing like a i, I had this grandiose visions of this great ultraman dvd set with all this you know commentaries and There's nothing you know, wrong with all, that man all kinds That's of stuff, stuff that you know we we as fans want to see yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah but it never happened because mm. in, you know with those you know i could have found those extra elements there was you know, like the the one thing that the the DVD set is um, when you switch it to the English language track of the Shout Factory Ultraman DVDs, yep. there's certain bits missing. Still in Japanese, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason for that is they used for their sound masters. They took VHS tapes they they'd found on like eBay or somewhere um, that had been taped off the air mm. uh, when ultra and and some of those had edits in them. Well, I know, well I don't know where they are anymore, but at the uh, you know, for a long time, I knew where the uh, where the elements were. Mm-hmm. You know, they were in the bath <laughs> that, that bathroom <laughs> warehouse, and they were they were complete. Yeah, you know, they there were no edits to those because uh, the edits happened later, uh, as the individual TV stations would trim them down to make more commercial space or whatever. Yeah. So, so that's where the edits happen. So the original ones don't have those those edits, hmm. and. They still exist, and they might even exist in in Canada because I sent them to my um, friend Andre Dubois, who does Fantasia. I don't know if you know him. Oh, I've heard I've heard of him. Yeah, but I was like, we they were they were in these they were um sixty millimeter optical soundtracks, which is this format they used in the sixties uh, that that encoded the sound as a kind of weird squiggly line yeah, that would be red. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I asked Andre because he was working in a dubbing facility if he could take these and. Um, this is this is really shady. I said, uh, can you can you take these and transfer them uh, to um, I forget what digital format, whatever digital format was was the main one in mm-hmm. in two thousand two or whenever I did this. Um, can you can you transfer them to that format and and you know, we'll pay for it and you send it back. And and I said clandestinely to him, like on the phone or something, where where there would be no record of it. I said to him, "And can you also keep a copy for yourself? Because I really don't trust Subaru Productions to right, store yeah. these things. I think they might get lost." And and he's he's a big fan boy too, and he's like, "Oh yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> okay." So uh, so they may there may be a set in Montreal <laughs> of the cool of the, the uncool uncut. Uh, versions on a digital format if, if andre still kept those yeah fingers crossed andre fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> so if you're listening andre <laughs> don't lose those <laughs> well let's uh let's drag this out of the whole like chayo thing and mm. uh, give me uh give me a really positive story from your time at at Subaraya. tell me something like maybe your favorite memory from working with the company well it was mostly good you know i make a i make you know i've just spent 10 minutes or whatever 15 
20 talking bad stuff about him, but it really liked working with him. So it was a family company. And, and there are, I've known people who've worked and lived in Japan who said, oh, I never felt accepted. I never felt like I was part of things. And the people at Tsuburaya really made me feel like I've got all kinds of pictures, you know, uh, I could show you of, uh, of company trips and things where, where I, I'm clearly, you know, one of the guys, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right in there with everybody. And they were very accepting. And they, um, so, so it was really a, a warm, sort of friendly environment to work in very forgiving i did a lot of there were a lot of things that that i probably could have been fired for that i where i screwed things up and i didn't get fired mm -hmm. um because they were they were kind of like they you know well you're a family now we're not going to fire you but don't ever do this again yeah. you know <laughs> that's nice though yeah yeah so so there was that and just getting like i got to wear the costumes in a couple of things and i, I put them up on youtube uh, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, all the things, because I saved tapes of it, but there was a couple company commercials where they would... Th we did this thing for a few years that they stopped doing after a while, but it was a, our Christmas commercial. Okay. So it was nothing but an advertisement for the company. It wasn't for a particular property, but it became a kind of thing they would do every Christmas. Because Japanese love Christmas, even though it's not a Christian country, right? So they they would make this Christmas commercial and they'd have all the monsters doing a dance or stuff. And in order to do that many monsters, you, you, you there weren't enough professional stunt people. So only the costume people in the front were professionals, and uh -huh. then the rest were anybody who they could just grab. Right? Grab, yeah. yeah. So they were like, "Oh, Brad, you'll love this." You know, yeah. <laughs> they came up, they, you know, put on a monster costume and dance, you know, and hang out on the set all day, you know. And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm down for that." So I'm in a couple of the, I'm, I'm. Uh, the Ultraman-powered version of Baltan. That's the one okay. The one I did. And he's got these really long claws, you know, these crab claws on his, on his hands. And they put me in the back, right? And I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm in the back, and nobody's ever going to see me. So every time they would say they're starting to do a take, I jumped up and up as high as I could and waved my claws back and forth yeah. in the air, you know, because I thought, this is the only way anybody's ever going to see me. And when the thing was finished, you can see <laughs> Balton in the back waving claws. Hi, like mom. Mad. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So um, okay, is that stuff still up on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Do you have to send me a link to your yeah, channel? Yeah, yeah. I so can, I can uh, just remind me to, and I'll find them all. Not. I put them up three, four years ago. I just you know transferred them to digital, and and yeah, I can awesome. show you where they all are. All right, we're uh, we're we're at an hour. Okay, but I got good. one more question for you. Okay, sure. Which you know we could cut out if it's not true. But Bob, I think, told mm -hmm. me that you did some voiceovers for the. Did you actually do some some voiceover stuff for like ads or trailers? Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I did several things. Like um, a, a couple of times. I mean, I'm in. I'm in a few shows. Really brief parts. Okay. Like, um, when they would in Ultraman. Uh, Zayas, I'm, and, and they even put my name as American News, uh, Bradley Warner, you know, and I'm <laughs> I'm a reporter uh, for a minute, and there's a few shows like that, and there were a few things where they would want um, uh, an American voice to say, uh, whenever there are planes and things taking off, there are little things in the background that you can barely hear, where it says, you know, ready for Pod Bay One, ready for right, liftoff right, yeah, or whatever, yeah. and I, I'm 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 some of those voices. And that's cool, and then. There was one point where we did it. We did a trailer for it was one of the the late '90s Ultraman shows, and we did the tr American trailer for it in the early 2000s. And I wrote all the narration from mm -hmm. from the mid '90s on. Every time there's a trailer, 
all of the narration is is written by me uh, even though it's, a lot of it's not you know a lot of it's hired hands uh-huh. doing the doing the reading of it and um and a lot of the production like i i would go select the the edits and stuff like that but there was one time when we couldn't find anybody good we auditioned a few people and they just did lousy readings so i was like oh, i can do this better so i went in the studio and like ultraman the ultimate hero and it wasn't yeah. ultraman the ultimate <laughs> hero but i was like ultraman is the greatest thing so it's my voice doing the i've uh, heard a lot of those like i would say yeah the 90s ultra like mm. series i've heard a lot of the english trailers from from bob yeah yeah and, uh, I, I was in charge yeah. of all those you that's know, awesome and man. all the flyers i did all the, all that stuff I had to, it kind of became this kind of thing where every year they come up with a new Ultraman show and I'd have to make a flyer and like that's the same show again and I'd have to write something to try to make it sound different yeah, like it yeah, was different yeah. and also I realized I'm we were mostly selling these to Asian companies so we'd make the trailers and the flyers and things in English but mostly we knew our buyers were in Hong Kong mm-hmm. Singapore um, Malaysia Philippines sometimes so. I was writing in English, but I was writing for an audience who were not native speakers of English. So I mm-hmm. had to think about, well, how do I simplify this, you know, and make it really clear? And and I, I, I write books now, as you know, I think. And and I feel like a lot of the writing style that's in evidence in my Zen books is is what I learned from trying to write in English for Chinese people, you know, who didn't really <laughs> speak English, you know. So it's like very, you know, very... And you take it back Straight. to basics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool, man. The rock is on the porch, you know. <laughs> it's Very cool. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. Okay. But I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks. And uh, this has been, like, seriously, this has been awesome for me. Um, <laughs> and I would love to have you back on sometime if you want to. Yeah, I'd you know. love to do I like talking about this stuff. And it, the, my normal audience, the, the people who read my Zen books and stuff, they don't want to hear this. Some Occasionally, I'll put it up on my blog or something, some tokusatsu stuff, and, and nobody <laughs> Nobody ever likes it. But I, I could talk about this forever. You know? Awesome. Yeah. yeah, we should definitely have some more collaborations for sure. Yeah, sure. All right, well, thank you. And uh, we will uh, put the links in the show notes to any of that stuff you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Just just remind me to find them and send them to you, and I'll do it. Yeah. Will do. All right. Jamata. From the darkest reaches of the underground film vaults, from places into which no men dare to tread... Tsuburaya Productions has brought back the things which mere mortals were never meant to see. Weird, unspeakable images, bizarre shapes, uncanny sights. Look upon them if you dare. For over 30 years, Tuberaya Productions has gone where no man has gone before, and then come back to tell the tale. Science fiction sights and sounds from beyond the beyond. Savage action. Dynamic tension. Planets full of apes. Stars at war. Sea beasts and spacemen. Robots and monsters. Women in peril. Black cars with fins. Dinosaurs, villainous villains, valiant heroes, and romance. Tsuburaya Productions has a vast library of hundreds of hours of the world's wackiest, wildest, weirdest, most out-of-this-world science fiction programs. If you're tired of the same old, same old, if you're fed up with the shows that all look alike, if you're looking for something different, Tsuburaya Productions are the people to talk to. 
classic science fiction from the masters of the craft.